This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 7th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Congress is obligated to provide oversight of the executive branch, but in so many ways, from the White House itself to executive agency rulemaking, Congress has abdicated many of its basic oversight functions. So just how do we make Congress great again? Cato's Will Yateman offers his thoughts. Congress, in pursuit of short-term gains... It seems throughout the 20th century and now on into the 21st century has given away much of its mojo to the White House. The process, it's known as delegation, um, and it's it's the means by which the administrative state is created. Um, so it's a, a Congress passes a law that establishes and, and endows these regulatory agencies with the powers that they wield um, over all of us. And there's been, you know, it's a... Congress has been doing it since 1887, when it established the uh, Interstate Commerce Commission to regulate rail rates. And it picked up steam during the Progressive Era and the New Deal Era, um, and it hasn't abated since. And indeed, it's uh, where the overwhelming preponderance of modern lawmaking is actually performed. I mean, regulations with the force and effect of law being churned out by these creations of Congress, um, way more so than laws being passed by Congress. I'm reminded of uh, Paul Ryan in uh, 2016 uh, saying that over this, what was the so-called Muslim ban, Paul Ryan said, I would sue any president that exceeds his or her powers. And that seems like uh, yet another way of deflecting from the, the hard job that Congress could do of asserting its Article I powers against a White House. Indeed. It's it's not just hard work. It's also there's sort of institutional reasons why Congress isn't doing it. Um, but first, I just want to cite an example. Um, but, you know, but we've got the president, uh, the trade power, these uh, national security tariffs. Um, Congress, it, it's an exclusive and plenary power of Congress under the Constitution, an enumerated power that Congress gets to lay uh, import duties, a.k.a. tariffs. It passes this law in 1962 that allows the president, in the name of national security, um, to impose tariffs unilaterally. Uh, That's one of these delegations that we've been talking about. It really hasn't been at the fore until Trump, tariff man, as as he's sometimes referred to. Um, What is happening here, it's quite incredible, a series of tariffs uh, against uh, steel and aluminum. Um, that the president has been uh, jiggering with uh, kind of perpetually over the last two years. Long story short, he's running around the world telling other countries, other legislatures, that this power, these tariffs, are all part of his international trade negotiating strategy. Um, That is to say, he's flouting the law. The purpose of these tariffs, quite expressly, when Congress created them, when the Congress made this delegation, was for national security. And Congress is very clear, the legislative history was very clear, that the president is not supposed to use these national security tariffs in lieu of the many other trade mechanisms that that Congress has empowered um, the president with over the last hundred odd years. Um, The upshot is, that's the sad circumstance we're now in. The, the president is, is gone global 
and proclaiming to anyone who will listen that he's essentially flouting the law. And what do we have from Congress? Nothing. Uh, crickets. Um, and, and that's sort of a, uh, indicative of, of the issue at hand. I mean, it's not just these capacious delegations. It's, it's the extent to which presidents are, are, are running wild with them. I mean, beyond I mean, any um, notions of, of what are reasonable limits uh, of these grants of authority. So um, that's the issue in a nutshell. We've got the presidents um, um, doing what they do, acting ambitiously with these grants of authority and Congress sort of sitting on the sidelines while um, these laws are being humiliated by the president. While, the, the, you know, the, he's very frank, very candid. Um, and it's not just this international trade law. It's just symptomatic um, of, our, of our present situation. Um, so that's sort of the problem. Um, and, and how has it come this way? Uh, it wasn't always this way. Um, when, when the administrative state was first created sort of in the early and mid 20th century, Congress organized itself uh, 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 along committees as these units of oversight. So yes, they were giving away all this power to the president. At the same time, they sought to, to oversee and manage that power, compete with the president for, for how these regulatory agencies acted. Well, alas, in the last 40 years, Congress has sort of uh, given up this task. I mean, is no longer interested in it. And that's a, a function of, of the centralization in power in Congress away from these committees, which, again, when they were creating the, the administrative state, Congress organized itself such that these committees would, would exercise this oversight over these regulatory agencies. And they've gone away from that over the last 40 years to uh, party control, to, to a centralization of authority in Congress under party leaders. Um, so how did that happen? The two things. First, it was demographics. In the, the 70s, we had the demise of Northeastern Republicans and Southern Democrats. The parties became uh, more homogenous. So just as these hive-like mentalities were taking hold, opportunistic party leaders in Congress. So here I'm thinking of, of people like Representative Tip O'Neill, House, uh, House Speaker, House Speaker Newt Gingrich, Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell, um, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, uh, sort of uh, these leaders took advantage of the newly hive-like mentality of their parties due to these demographic shifts, and they changed the rules. They instituted a number of rules changes in the House and the Senate that further consolidated their control. Um, so uh, the upshot is, in, in a Congress where uh, fealty to party trumps institutional pride, and that's where we are now, and it wasn't always this way, half of the Congress loses interest in overseeing regulatory agencies whenever their guy is in the White House, whenever their guy is getting things done. And that's the sort of, that's the perverse political dynamic at play that is one, sidelined Congress, and two, keeps them sidelined. Um, because again, they're content, uh, one half the Congress is always content to um, to give up on their oversight duties as long as, as their party guy is in the Oval Office. And um, pumping out policies that they prefer. And even if your guy or gal is not in the White House, you may very well hold out hope as a member of Congress that your guy or gal will get in there so that uh, all of these powers will be at their control. Exactly. Keeping the seat warm. And I'd say here, the, the certainly the most topical example is going to be the ongoing impeachment and trial in the Senate. 
Um, historically, and this is something that our colleague Gene Healy noted in, in his excellent paper, a comprehensive paper about the impeachment process, historically, impeachments were part and parcel of a larger struggle between the political branches, between uh, lawmakers and the president over who had primacy with policymaking. Um, so what does that mean specifically? That means, you know, in the 19th century with President Johnson in, in the 70s, um, with Nixon, Congress wasn't just putting the president through the impeachment ringer. At the same time, they were passing all sorts of substantive statutes that that uh, um, um, clawed back some of these delegations, clawed back some of these authorities that they had granted to the president. Um, I'll cite one example uh, uh, with Nixon. Um, so it wasn't just the impeachment. Congress also passed the Budget Impoundment and Control Act. Um, which created the uh, a whole new process uh, meant to temper um, how presidents had sort of been flouting Congress's power of the purse. Um, Congress also passed the Legislative Reorganization Act of 1970, which uh, uh, through which they they spent a great deal of money on their own capacity for oversight. That is, committees and Article One agencies. That's the way impeachments historically have worked. Um, alas, that's not what we're seeing today. Uh, today, we're, we're seeing a impeachment in isolation. And, and I won't, you know, regardless of how one feels uh, about impeachments in general or, or this particular impeachment, the fact of the matter is that, that there is this, this component missing that historically had been there. And, and that is these substantive reforms meant to claw back some of this power. And why aren't we seeing any such measures? The, for the same dynamic that you mentioned, they're keeping the seat warm. They're, they're not interested in structural reforms. They're only interested in targeting the man, not the office, um, or the office holder, not the office. And, and that's, again, that's a, a perverse constitutional politics. And individual members of Congress, uh, they always seem to find a way to avoid uh, holding their fellow Congress people. Uh, accountable that whenever the an executive agency or the president takes an action that is rooted in some delegation that Congress has made, the finger wagging is almost always at the executive agency. And the in the agency's defense, they're often trying to interpret statutes that were written particularly vaguely so that Congress could avoid accountability on some other score. Exactly. It's like a snake eating its tail. Um, it, what you speak of, this question perhaps gets to uh, the most fundamental of problems. Um, here at Cato, we've got all sorts of ideas, to structural ideas, institutional ideas that would remedy this imbalance between Congress and the presidency um, that would restore Congress to its rightful place. As you said, Article One, for a reason. Um, but what's the old saying? You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I wonder whether or not, um, or what I pine for, is a new type of lawmaker, and perhaps one cut from the old cloth. As I'd mentioned before, there was a time when uh, committees were strong in Congress, and and lawmakers would join these committees, and they had certain norms like uh, apprenticeship. But this actually existed um, in the '60s and the '70s. You, you were expected as a new member to come on board put your head down and bury yourself in the details of policy and over time become an expert. Um, all that's gone by the wayside. I mean, lawmakers like Representative John Dingell or Henry Waxman uh, had ideals that are antithetical to what I believe. But nonetheless, I respected them um, as, as consummate parliamentarians who cared about the institution of Congress. 
So, I mean, I, a part of me thinks that for the reasons, the very reasons that you set forth, they're always looking, or, or the current crop, always looking for a way to dodge the bullet, always looking for a way to pass the buck. Um, and that's inherent to the original delegation, and it's inherent now to the present oversight, whereby all you do is you 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 complain about the agency and do nothing to rein back those powers. Um, uh, part of me thinks that regardless of all the great ideas out there that, that, that we and others can put forth, uh, to policy ideas to remedy the situation, what we need at the end of the day is, is a new type of lawmaker. And again, one cut from the old cloth, one who appreciates um, or takes institutional pride in serving in the first branch of government, um, Congress. Will Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.